too hard for a strong and mighty God. Yes, you are able. You're more than able. Time and time again you prove I can always count on you. Yes, you are able. Able. 
Good morning, Southview. My name is Brad. I'm the lead pastor here, and we're so excited to have you worshiping with us today. My wife, Marie, and I, unfortunately, are not able to be with you today. We're traveling out of the country, helping train some pastors in South America, but we know you're praying for us, and we know today is going to be amazing. As you begin worshiping with us, we have just a few announcements I want you to know. Our missions ministry is having a fundraising dinner on March 18th. You want to be a part of this, you can order tickets online by texting the word TICKET to our number 910-424-1298. It is quickly approaching time for Vacation Bible School. If you would like to be a part of serving in VBS this year, you can simply text the letters VBS to our number 910-424-1298. We have Plenty of options for you to choose from. You're not going to want to miss this great opportunity to serve children in our area. And we have a great Easter weekend planned for you, April 7th, 8th, and 9th. It begins Friday night, April 7th, with a worship experience right here in our church. And then April 8th, we're having a church-wide picnic. We'd love for you and your family to be a part. You can reserve your spot and sign up to help serve by texting the word PICNIC to our number, 910-424-1298. And then we'll all be back here Easter Sunday morning, 930 and 11, worshiping Jesus Christ, our risen Lord and Savior. For all of our other announcements, to get plugged in with a group and to find previous sermons, messages, sermon notes, you can download our app. It's the best way to stay connected with us, iTunes or Google Play. Download it today. And we have numerous ways for you to give here at Southview. You can give online through the app, or you can give in the giving boxes, which are located at either door as you exit the sanctuary today. And if you are a guest with us today, we would love to connect with you learn more about you, and see how we can better minister to you. Your first step in that is by texting the word CONNECT to our number, 910-424-1298. We look forward to hearing from you today. And for all of you, we're so glad that you're here. I love you, I miss you, I'm praying for you, and I know you're going to be blessed by the service. Amen, amen. Well, good morning, church. Stand with me. I want to read from God's Word, and we're going to celebrate these truths. In chapter 10 of Hebrews, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He goes on, he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And then later on in chapter 12, the author continues, he says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Praise God that we can come to Him 
that for those that believe you are no longer under the condemnation of Christ, but you have been called co-heirs with Christ, sons and daughters of God. Isn't that amazing? And so you can celebrate these things through song and you can sing with full assurance that what he says is true and how we are to respond is just to say, yes, God, acknowledge his holiness, stand in awe of him. As we sing and as we celebrate, let's do these things for the glory of our Lord, Christ alone.
always known A song that's always been in me All glory and honor, dominion and power to you A million angels fall, face down on the floor All to echo holy
song that's always been Good morning. 
My name is Steve Aldi. I am the um, pastor for adult discipleship and also children and families seems to be hanging on with me. And I love both. We want to continue on with what Brad had started in Colossians in showing how Jesus Christ is more valuable than anything. And it makes perfect sense to believe that. Not only did the Bible say so, but you, you think about it. The creator, God, in the flesh is Jesus Christ. And everything else is his creation. So, of course, he is more valuable than anything. But because of the fall, you and I have a hard time seeing him as more valuable. You and I don't see him very clearly. It says in 1 Corinthians 13 that we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now we, need to, we have to contend with our flesh, unrenewed minds, and so we sometimes live, and I say sometimes, it probably for most of us is most of the time, live as practical atheists. If we read the Bible at all, many of us read the Bible in the morning, pray, and by mid-afternoon we've forgotten about God, our spiritual bucket leaks, and again we're living as if God did not exist. If you know what I'm talking about, say, oh me. Brad last week asked the question, is Jesus worth it? And the answer is obviously yes. Today, I want to ask a little different question, and that is, why is Jesus worth it? What is it about Jesus Christ that would draw us to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength? What is it about the person of Jesus Christ that we would want to worship and adore him? What about it, knowing God would make us tremble with godly fear? And when I say godly fear, I'm not talking about being afraid of God. I'm talking about trembling because of who God is. Trembling and joy and love for him. What is it about Jesus Christ that we would want to treasure him, delight in him, enjoy him, and find our deepest yearnings satisfied in him? And what is it about Jesus Christ that we would gladly serve him and obey him? Before we get into it, because of the flesh in our um, unrenewed minds, like the Lord Jesus Christ taught us to pray, I think we need to pray. And of course, he started teaching the, the uh, apostles or the disciples how to pray by saying, Our Father, 
who is in heaven. Recognizing that God is seated on the throne of heaven. And the first thing, the first request is that his name would be hallowed. That his name would be known for who he really is. Holy, other than the creator, not the created. The God that has no beginning and end. The great I am. All of us have trouble and we don't, we don't see him really for who he is. And so we need to pray that God would reveal to us who he is. Let's bow and let's pray. You are our Father in heaven because of Christ. And we come to you before the throne of grace with confidence and boldness only, only because of Christ. There is nothing that we can bring forward in and of ourselves but on Christ and his righteousness. And we do ask, Father, that your name would be hallowed, that Christ would be hallowed in our hearts, would be sanctified in our hearts, that we would see you more clearly for who you really are, and that our lives would demonstrate in this fallen world to those that desperately need you that you are glorious, that you are stunningly beautiful, that you are awesome. We pray this for the fame of your name, in Jesus' name, amen. First thing that I want to show is in Christ is a central theme throughout Colossians. If you can go to that uh, screen that says in Christ, a central theme. Well, anyway, <clears throat> while they're working on that, here's a few examples. In chapter 1, verse 14, in whom we have redemption, in Christ we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In verse 16 of chapter 1, by him all things were created. Talking about Jesus. All things were created through him, by him, for him. Verse 19, all the fullness to dwell in him. And through him, in verse 20, to reconcile all things to himself. Verse 22, we reconciled, he reconciled you in his fleshly body through death. And then in chapter 2, verse 3, he says, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In verse 6, we are to walk in him. We are to live our lives in Christ. In verse 7, that we are rooted and now being built up in him. In verse 9, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells. Verse 10, in him you have been made complete. 
Verse 11, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not made by hands, with the circumcision of Christ. Verse 12, having been buried in him in baptism, and not only buried in him, but raised in him. And then in verse 15, he triumphed over them principalities and powers and authority through him. And then there's three others in chapter three and chapter four. But most of these in hymns are found in chapter one and two. So this obviously is, this letter is about Jesus Christ. And what I'm going to attempt to do is to show that not only is Jesus Christ worthy of our adoration, our lives, but why he is worthy. What I'd like to do is have, I want to read this whole passage. <clears throat> Quite frankly, this passage is too long to cover in half hour, 40 minutes. Um, the first couple verses we could probably have a three sessions on, but we're going to get up to 20,000 feet and fly over this and give us, uh, we're going to center in on certain passages of this, this text. But let's all stand together as we read the Word of God. And the reason I'm doing this is the Bible says that all Scripture is inspired by who? By God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. So as we read this, recognize we're just not reading a regular book. We're reading words that God inspired this apostle to read for our benefit that we would better know our purpose here in this life, to know who God really is. Starting in verse 6 of chapter 2 of Colossians. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, so it might be a little different. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. 
having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Thank you. The Apostle Paul starts off in verse 6 with the word, therefore. And it's always wise in reading the Bible to recognize why the theref- what the therefore is there for. So I want to go back to verses 1 through 5 so we can get in context what the Apostle Paul is saying in verses 6 through 15. He says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, attaining to all the wealth of the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all, everyone say all. Is there anything outside of all? In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. And there are voices that are persuasive in the church that would, that would um, delude us. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Obviously, Paul believed that these people were believers, that they had truly come to know Christ Jesus, were saved from their sin, and were children of God. But he says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. He does not assume that just because they believe that they're going to continue on. So he writes, just as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. The first thing that I think of when I read that text there, as you receive Christ Jesus, um, Christ Jesus the Lord, is that they received a person. He did not say, as you receive the doctrine of Christ, they did. It's at least that, but it's much, much more. They didn't say, he didn't say, as you receive a principle about Christ. He said, as you have received Christ Jesus. 
He didn't say, as you have received forgiveness. He did not say, as you have received being a new creation. He did not say, as you have now become a child of God. All of that is true. But he said, as you have received the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is not being born again. That's a means to an end. The gospel is not forgiveness. That is a great thing, but it is a means to an end. It's not being a child of God. It's not being in God's favor. All that is good. But it's a means to an end. The question is, is what is the end? What is God's purpose in salvation? What is God's purpose in forgiveness? It is to bring us to himself. And he has chosen to show himself in his son. For example, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says, Come to me, all that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, Come to me, the person. In John six thirty five, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes on me or in me will never thirst. Now, that's an interesting passage because there's two parallels happening. He says, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me, and then he says, he who believes in me coming to me and believing are one and the same thing. So believing on the Lord Jesus Christ is coming to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The other parallel is the result of coming to him, never hungering and never thirsting. In other words, coming to Jesus Christ, the reason that we do so is to fulfill our deepest soul, heart, hunger, and thirst. I'm sure all of you can relate that you have this nagging need to be satisfied, to be happy. And I'm sure all of us can relate that the things of this world, the deceptive things of this world never satisfy. They do for a moment, but never fully. That's because we weren't created to be satisfied in the creation. We were created to be satisfied in the creator himself. So Jesus says, come to me. In John 17, 3, which is the high priestly prayer, John 17, Jesus is praying to the Father and he says, this is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. If you want to know what is God's will, it's that you know him. That's why Jesus came. That every barrier would be taken away between you and God and that you could know him. In 1 Peter 3.8, Peter writes, for Christ also died for sins once for all, the just 
for the unjust. He being the just, you and I being the unjust. So that he might bring us to God. That's God's purpose. That's why Jesus came, that we might see and know God. He doesn't stop there, though, by saying, as you receive Christ, he says, as you have, so walk in him. In other words, live your life from the foundation of Christ Jesus the Lord and your knowledge of him. It is those that continue in faith who demonstrate through their lives the genuineness of their faith in Christ. And faith in Christ isn't just faith in a proposition, it is seeing who he really is. And as we shall see, there were false teachers that were telling them that the Christian faith begins one way in faith in Christ and then goes another way. And that other way they usually describe as something deeper that you need to discover to be truly satisfied. But as we're going to find out, there's nothing deeper than Christ and Him crucified. The problem with us is we we don't need to look for something deeper. We just need to get deeper into what He has revealed in His Word, which is Christ, Him crucified and raised. J.C. Ryle, who was a pastor and uh, a bishop in the Church of England in the 19th century, said this, The gospel which we possess was not given us only to be admired, talked of, and professed, but to be practiced. It was not meant merely to reside in our intellect, memories, and tongues, but to be seen in our lives. Christianity is a talent committed to our charge. He's referring to the parable of the talents. One was given ten, one was given five, one was given one. And one which brings with it great responsibility. We were not in darkness like the heathen. We are not in darkness like the heathen. A glorious light is put before us. Let us take heed that we use it. While we have the light, let us walk in the light. He then continues, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith. I want you to notice in this part of the passage, past tense and future tense. He says, having been firmly rooted. This is something that happens when you believe. And it's something that God does. For example, the first thing I think of with this is the parable of the sower. If you remember that parable, there are four types of soil. The sower goes to sow. And in Matthew's version of it, the first soil 
the people did not understand the word given. And so Satan comes immediately and takes the seed away where it doesn't bear any fruit. The second soil is those that receive it with joy, but the joy is not firmly rooted because when affliction and persecution comes because of the word, they fall away. The third soil, they also receive it, but the worry and care of the world and the deceitfulness of riches distract the person so it doesn't bear fruit. In other words, the first three never really believed because they never really saw the significance of this gospel. The fourth soil, now this is interesting because the three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, both have different perspectives on why the, first so the fourth soil bore fruit. Matthew said they understood the word. He's talking about spiritual apprehension of the wonder of who Christ really is. Mark says they accept it. They received it truly. And Luke writes, they heard the word with an honest and good heart and hold it fast. I'm I was tempted, I'm going to say it anyway. Here's the word of God, right? Those of us that do not seriously, intentionally, get prayerfully, get into the word of God, will never see the wonder and beauty and awesomeness who Christ really is. It's here. And by the illumining power of the Holy Spirit, we begin to see something of God's glory. Even John 3.16, which can go easily in one ear and out the other. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you understand the significance of that? It is only through Christ that we don't perish and suffer in hell for all eternity. This is a glorious statement showing something about the glory of God that when seen, it changes your life. And those that see it Hold on to it and live it out. Having been firmly rooted, I just read in one commentary where a man lived in Texas and you all heard about a tumbleweed. Tumbleweed doesn't last very long because the roots are very fragile and don't go down very deep. And the heat and the wind of the West Texas weather, those things are just blown away and you see all these things tumbling through. Um, Earl Smith and I recently, uh, he helped me. I've got these um, crepe myrtle trees in the back that I started cutting down, but I couldn't get the stumps out. He brought his um, chainsaw 
And that wood was so hard and those roots went so deep that actually there were sparks flying off of that chainsaw. He had to, I think you had to buy a new uh, blade on that thing. God, when he puts you in the ground and roots you, does like that tree that finally, I got that out yesterday, the second, second stump. But it reminds me that those that are in Christ have been rooted and grounded and are now being built up in him and established in your faith. Present tense, now being built up in him and established in the faith. There is a cooperation in this part where it is God that is at work within us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. But it is us who work out our salvation with fear and trembling. This is not passive. It is not let go, let God. It is God is doing now a work in us, building us up, and it is, it is our responsibility to begin to walk that out. It doesn't happen if you don't do it. If you're passive in this, you'll just be passive. <laughs> you'll just sit there like you always have sat there. This is a warfare that we're in. <clears throat> and those that see who Christ really is, will engage in this warfare. How many of you have minds that tend sometimes to be lazy? I see that hand, I see that hand. <laughs> I do. What the Apostle Paul is talking about, so walk in him, this takes, this takes energy, this takes focused energy. This takes time in the Word of God to see really who He is and who He has created us to be and begin by faith to walk in that, to walk out the miracle that He has begun in us. <clears throat> and the beautiful thing is, how, how, how firmly rooted are we? The Bible says the, the work that He began in you, He will complete until the day of Christ Jesus. We are assured of that. Then he says, just as you were instructed. <clears throat> the same message that brought you and I to Christ, those that, of us that believe, is the same instruction and message that is used for us to grow in Christ. The same cross of Christ proclaimed and preached at the time of salvation that when we first believe is the same cross, it's the same message of the cross that is the foundation for our spiritual growth. Those that get tired of hearing about the cross of Christ, I'm afraid, brothers and sisters, that maybe you're not even saved because it is the cross of Christ that we are endeared to him. That's how he has manifested himself to you and I. This is the primary way that he has manifested himself to us through his son, and through redemption that comes through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The Apostle Paul says, I chose to know nothing else among you except Christ 
and him crucified. There is no, there is nothing deeper than that. And that, like I said, if we want to grow deeper into Christ, we go deeper into the revelation of himself found in his life, his death, burial, and resurrection. Then he says, overflowing with gratitude. He didn't say, put on thankfulness. He said, overflowing with gratitude, which to me says there's something inward that's happening that overflows. When you and I see who Jesus Christ really is, when we see his holiness, and in contrast, see how sinful and how disdainful sinful really is and how God-dishonoring sin really is. We see that we need Him and that He has provided salvation not because we deserve it, but just the opposite. We don't deserve it. We are grateful to Him who gave Himself freely we overflow with thanksgiving. My God, what you have done is glorious. Let me move on. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. According to the tradition of man, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. He says, see to it, beware, is really what the Greek is saying. Paul alerted the Colossian believers to the dangers that he introduced in verse 4, where he said, somehow I turned the page here, where he said, I say to you that no one will delude you, say this to you so that no one will delude you with persuasive arguments. So he's already introduced that there was people in the church that were sharing false doctrine. And the insidious thing is this false doctrine seemed Christian. It was a, it was a blend of Judaism, and it was a blend of Greek philosophy and Gnosticism. And it seemed right. And it was according to the tradition of men. Traditions don't die hard, do they? If it's a tradition of man, then it must be right. And then he says, according to the elementary principles of the world. The English Standard Version says, according to the elemental spirits. It's an interesting thing. So there's spiritual aspect of all this, demonic aspect of, of this deception. And then he calls it empty deceit, empty deception. And he said, don't let the, them take you captive. Um, in extra-biblical literature, that word is to carry off as booty or as captive in war. 
It means to take over complete control of a person as one would be a captive, to control completely, to take control of or to make a captive of. And Paul is saying, see to it that no one gains control over you by human wisdom. <clears throat> I don't need to get into what the philosophies that were being taught way back then, but what are some of the things that we deal with today? Quickly, sec secular counseling, um, psychology. And a lot of that sounds very, very good. I mean, it's these doctors and psychologists that observe human behavior, and there seems to be consistency, so they say this is the way it is. The problem is, is their foundation is not godly. Their foundation is humanistic, so right off the bat, it's wrong. Out of that comes the doctrine, it's not really a doctrine, but the thought that all of us need self-esteem. It invaded the church in the 50s, in the 60s it got stronger, and now it's pretty much accepted. From the pulpit, people preach that you need to feel good about yourself. When the Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit, Blessed are those that see themselves in contrast to God and they need Him. The Bible says you need to die to self. Pick up your cross and follow Christ. You don't solve narcissism by further narcissistic, not narcissistic, nar further narcissism. In other words, I need to feel good about myself. I need to esteem myself. What God wants us to do and His purpose is that we see Him and esteem Him above ourselves. And quite frankly, when we esteem Him, I'm not thinking about myself. He's too glorious. Are we valuable? Yes. We have been created by God in His image. We are very, very valuable. And our value lies in seeing who Christ is, our purpose. Seeing who Christ is and valuing Him above all things. This isn't about you and I. This is about Christ. And we are created to be images of Him reflect His glory by seeing and enjoying who He is above all things. He says, according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. Then He explains, for in Him all the fullness of deity dwells. There's that word all. In him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. The logic is amazing. When you think about it, and the logic that the Apostle Paul gives here, it is pure insanity you and I to look for 
satisfaction, to look for fulfillment, to look for anything deeper than Christ. Because in him, all the fullness of deity dwells. Why do you and I get captivated by self and other things? Why is it? Paul gives the, the reason, because we don't see who Christ really is. To the extent that you don't see Christ for who he really is, is the extent that you will stay in the cycle of sin. It is as you see that Christ is more valuable than the pleasures, the sinful pleasures of this world. There are pleasures in this world that are right and good and God-given. But they're all given the breadcrumbs of all the pleasures of this world should lead us to see and worship God who is the source of all life. So who is this God, who is deity? What is deity? In Exodus 15, 11, reads, Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? He is majestic and holiness. And again, what is holiness? It is his otherliness. No one created anything but God. No one created anything out of nothing but God. Only God can and only God has. No one keeps all our cells and all our molecules together but God, but Jesus Christ. God, God is omnipotent, he is all-powerful. God is omniscient, he is all-knowing. God is merciful, he shows his kindness towards us and he is touched with our infirmities, he is merciful. God is eternal, he has no beginning and no end. God is holy, he is other than. All his attributes all his character show his holiness. The seraphim in Isaiah cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Stop and think. When you go out and you see a sunrise, sunset, just look at each other. Created by God himself. All of this reflects back to God. And how, it's just amazing to me that I forget this and just live like this life is normal, doing the best I can. How many know what I'm talking about? This is all about God. God's fingerprints are all over everything and the purpose of creation is that we would see him and worship him alone but none of us have in and of ourselves. So Jesus is God. 
The Bible says in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He is God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into the being that has come into being. And then he says in John 1:14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So what does the Bible say about this person, Jesus? I want to show two aspects of him. One in Revelation 6, 12 through 17. I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth. As a fig tree cast its unripe figs when shaken by the great wind, the sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and every free man hid themselves in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, Jesus. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Each and every one of us deserves the wrath of the Lamb, the wrath of God. Jesus isn't just this willy, soft person that came and taught a great sermon. He is God. And it speaks of the wrath of the Lamb. But what else does it say about Him? Come to me, all that are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The only place in the New Testament, the only place in all the Bible where Jesus himself talks about his heart, and he says his deepest inner being is gentle and lowly. Jesus is not provoked to love us. He is only provoked to wrath because of our rejection of him. To those that receive him, he's gentle and lowly. Jesus said this in, in John 15, 11, after talking about he is the vine, we are the branches. He says, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Did you hear that? This is Jesus, God, who has a rod of iron to destroy those that reject him, is saying, I have joy within myself. And he's praying that we would know that joy 
and have that joy made complete in ourselves. He says in John 17, 13, but now I come to you and these things I speak to the world. He's speaking to the Father. I speak to the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. This is Jesus's heart. This is why the Apostle Paul could say, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose, but I am hard-pressed from both directions. Having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Listen to this. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you, to continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. God's purpose for you and I is to know Jesus for who he is, the source of life, the bread of life, the the bread that satisfies, and that we would progress in our joy in him. This is the Jesus that we serve. This is the Jesus that more we know, we will overcome sin. This is the Jesus that calls for you to come to him. But you say, but I've sinned terribly. He says, I know, come to me. He says, but you don't understand. I sin grossly. Oh no, I see, I understand, come to me. But I've been a Christian for 10, 20 years. It's one thing that I've been forgiven when I first came to you, but now I have light and I've still sinned. I know, I've taken it all, come to me. He's gentle and lowly, this is our Christ. How can we stand before God? I'm just going to wrap this up by reading. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised Christ from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us of all our transgressions. This is the work of Christ from beginning to end. The amazing thing is, you're just not forgiven, but everything he did shows who he is. you realize that? He went to the cross, took on your sin, suffered and died, and was raised from the dead, which shows us something of God's character, his deep love, compassion, mercy, and grace towards you and I. That last slide, let's go ahead and look at that. 
For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. Do you realize that? I know you don't always feel it, but as we renew our minds to the word of God, we will progressively know ever more deeply the reality of who Christ is, what he has done, and who we now are in him. We stand complete in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for it is powerful. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would illumine these people, that they would desire you more than physical bread, but see you as the bread of life that satisfies our deepest hunger and living water that satisfies our deepest thirst. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, because these things are true, <clears throat> we can celebrate. So stand with me and let's sing a closing song together. Let's just simply stand in awe of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Let's sing. Savior died alone. 